Mediavine On Air is the podcast about content creation, loaded with tips to help you take your business to the next level. We've got episodes all about optimizing your SEO and the best ways to do your taxes as a freelancer, going full-time with your blog, and how to strategize your affiliate marketing. But today we're talking about a topic that impacts creators at every level of their blogging journey, whether you're just starting out or an industry veteran. And that topic is burnout. Or more specifically, how to stay passionate when your hobby becomes your job. I'm the host of Mediavine on air, Jenny Guy, and as someone working directly with content creators, I see burnout come up a lot. Most of us start out creating content about something we love and then we start growing. Gaining followers and earning money is amazing and puts a whole new perspective and level of pressure on a thing that you started doing out of love. There are slow times, there are stressful times, and there may even be times when you ask yourself, is this all worth it? Back at MVCon 2019 in Austin, Texas, we had Reality Blurred's Andy Daynart take the stage to tackle this issue. He talks about the nature of passion and how to keep it alive. Also, how you can implement a framework to recalibrate as you move along in your content creation journey. We're so excited for you to hear about it all. And remember, if you enjoyed today's episode, make sure to give us a rating and share it with your friends. Here's Andy. You're listening to Media Vine On Air, the podcast about the business of content creation. From SEO to ads and social media to time management. If it's about helping content creators build sustainable businesses, we are talking about it here. I'm your on-air host, Mediavine's Jenny Guy. Well, welcome, everybody. Thank you so much for uh, coming to this session. I know that the competition is Pinterest. <laughs> which is basically like the, I don't know, that's a, that's a tough competition. So thank you all for rejecting <laughs> the Pinterest cult for a moment at least. You can go back to pinning things uh, in the next 45 minutes. But I'm excited to talk to you today um, about passion in our lives and, and how we work the most effectively and, and how we can sort of like improve on the stuff that sort of trips us up sometimes. My name is Andy Dennert. I publish a site called Reality Blurred. As the title kind of maybe suggests, it's all about reality television. Um, and I've been publishing it since the summer of 2000. So 19 and a half years of blogging now. That was sort of back in the days before there were blogs or we called them web logs, two words, as I heard someone say yesterday. And most of them were personal diaries, not really about a subject. I've seen this industry change and grow and shift over time. And it's been really exciting to be part of it. Really, like ultimately a, a beautiful experience at first to take my passion for reality television, turn that into something that I create myself, that I control. I'm kind of a control freak. So I love to make everything mine and, and look exactly like I want it to. That's just, it's amazing. And then also sometimes making a little bit of money from it too and being able to discover, and that was, that was in the, the BM days, before Mediavine was the, a little bit of money. And then now, uh, obviously, it's become more sustainable and more than just something that can pay for itself. So yeah, all really good and really exciting. And I think it's so such a privilege to be able to do this kind of work and for all of us to be able to share what we care about with the world. That said, over the 20 years, probably over the time that you've been doing this, however long that's been, um, sometimes the storm clouds come in. Sometimes there's an occasional lightning strike or two. So my goal today is to sort of talk through some strategies, tips, techniques, tools that have helped me weather those storms, um, if you'll excuse the cliche, uh, over those 19 and a half years. 
So let's just talk first about the stumbling blocks and then get those out of the way. So these are basically the things that come up uh, over time um, and that just kind of maybe trip us up. Uh, maybe they're actually weeds that we need to get rid of. Maybe they're actually beautiful flowers that we think are weeds and we still have to get over the fact that they're not just weeds that we need to pick out. Let's talk about some of those for and what they've been for me over time. The first is this idea of expectation and obligation. At first, like when I started publishing, it was like so exciting, I could just do this whenever. And then people started showing up and reading it, and I'm like, oh, now I have to do this every day, right? Or I set a, set a schedule, and now, I'm, now people are expecting me to, like when, when they go show up at work on Monday morning at 9 a.m., there better be a new post up for them. And if I'm five minutes late, they're never gonna come back and the whole thing's gonna collapse, right? Not that like I'm prone to thinking in that kind of disastrous way. Um, I am. So also that sense of obligation maybe that like now it's the thing that's controlling me instead of me controlling it. Back to the control freak thing, I want to be in charge at all times. The failure to keep up with everything and everyone. Like I have seen this uh, definitely over these two decades or so, but even just like in a few months or weeks, there's new ideas, new technologies, new things that people are trying, uh, new ways of thinking about the work that we're doing. And it's like, how do I do all that in addition to what I'm already doing? And it's like, I can never keep up with all of it. So how do I decide what to do and what not to? And that's what we'll talk about today. Perfectionism. Uh, I'm a perfectionist. Any other perfectionists in the room? Ooh, there's a lot of us, yes. Uh, and I think perfectionism for me becomes, uh, is like, goes hand in hand with procrastination, right? Like I procrastinate a lot, so I can definitely set myself up for failure, so I don't have to be perfect. And then that just creates a sort of miserable cycle that is no fun for anyone, including me. Um, the fear that it will all suddenly fail and fall apart, right? Like you look at your Google Analytics one day or your Mediavine numbers or your traffic and all of a sudden it's a little lower than the day before and it's like, it's broken, what happened? Everything's, I can't do this anymore. I'm not gonna be able to feed my cats anymore. It's, it's, this, is the, this is the end of this experiment. Um, it just feels like it's sort of like, is this real? Is, is what I'm doing like held up by anything? And that's true again, even after almost 20 years. What I call the black hole of advice. How many of you have done this where you spend, you see something or you Google something and then you find someone who has advice and then you kind of like follow and then there's another person and they suggest this and then you can buy a course for that and then buy this workbook and then all of a sudden like now you've spent $3,000 and six days and you're like, and what did I learn out of this, right? Um, and even when it's not that dramatic, it can still be, there's a lot of advice out there in the world there's also, oddly enough, like a lot of people out in the world giving advice about how to teach other people to give advice. So now we have this kind of like weird sort of like tail being eaten by the head sort of situation where it's like, if we're all just learning to give advice to each other, like what are we actually learning? So that can be um, a problem too. And then finally, the, what I call the perils of popularity which are, is the sense that like once you have readers, and, and what popular is for, for any of us is gonna be very different um, depending upon the, what you write about, how long you've been doing it, et cetera. Um, but when you have people actually reading, now there's this sense that like, oh, I was doing this thing that interested me or that I thought would resonate. It has resonated, but now I need to serve those people. And like they are going to tell me 
what they want to see and I need to make sure that I'm doing everything everyone needs. This can manifest like someone sends you an email like with a complaint about something and you're like, oh no, I need to fix this, right? Like I have screwed up, all my audience is gonna hate me or a negative comment can trigger this or it's just the sense that like, what, what, do, what does my audience want? What do they want? What can I do to serve them? At least for me, I found that like the more I chase that, the less successful I am. I'll be like, oh, everyone's gonna love this. They're, it's gonna be great and then it doesn't go anywhere. And then the thing that I'm just sort of interested in and do for myself, uh, that can sometimes get a lot of traction. So the perils of popularity can sort of leave us being pulled and pushed in various directions. This is a picture of me on location with Survivor in 2008. I was rehearsing a challenge which the press uh, got to do. This is something I got to do as a result of blogging and writing my website. Uh, you'll notice here that I'm tied to other people. Uh, that's me hanging off the end of this. Um, and that's a camera filming my butt in the uh, dangling there. Um, and this is kind of how I feel sometimes is stuck and just like, I can't move. I don't know what to do. Is it like, is our other people holding me back? Do I need to cut the rope? Like what's, what are we gonna do when we're in this situation where we feel like we are just dangling? So I have advice and emojis. Um, and a line from Mrs. Doubtfire. Shout out to Mrs. Doubtfire. So let's talk about some solutions. Um, breaking these up into various categories, and I have some resources and tips and websites and stuff to share with you along the way. Uh, we'll start with uh, leading with your strengths. That's a photo of me uh, on my dad's lap uh, playing with our Commodore 64. Anyone have one of those? Oh, nice, awesome. Uh, if you'll notice that it worked with cassette tapes. I don't actually know what I was doing there, probably writing about reality TV um, or Sesame Street or something. I was at a workshop recently where the person leading it said, think back to your childhood and think about the thing that you did when no one was asking you to do anything. No one was requiring you to do it. No one was telling you how to spend your time. And then see, does that connect at all with what you're doing today? And so I thought about that for a moment and I was like, no, like, I don't, you know, when I was a kid, like all I did was sit around and like watch TV and read the life section of USA Today and create newsletters for my family. <laughs> I'm like, oh wait, holy shit, that's what I do now. That's my actual job. I have turned the thing I loved all along into a day-to-day occupation career thing that actually um, helps support me and those aforementioned cats. So leading with your strengths is all about knowing what you're good at and then doing more of that instead of doing more of what you're not good at. So I have a couple of pieces of advice for how to sort of figure our way through this. Um, the first is Strengths Finder. It's the book on the right over there. Um, this is from Gallup uh, and basically you buy the book, it's 10 or 15 bucks on Amazon and it comes with a code to take a quiz online takes about 30 or 45 minutes. And at the end, they give you um, your top strengths out of a group of 34. So instead of like Myers-Briggs where you're one of 16 categories, here you're like one of several million possibilities. And it's saying like, here are the things that you're best at. What's really cool about the book is that it says, if, you're, if you have this strength, here's how to interact with the world and also how other people can interact with you. So it gives you a good sense of like how to deal with your strengths um, and what to do with them. That's very much about strengths based on skills. Whereas uh, the VIA character strength survey, which is the second bullet point there, that's all about uh, the strengths relating to character, to your personality, to the way you maybe interact with other people. I mean, that's definitely a part of StrengthsFinder too. Uh, but it's like, it's giving us a little bit more into the personality zone instead of the um, like skills and output zone. Um, but both together will give us a lot of good information and sort of tell you like, here's the stuff that you're really good at. 
With StrengthsFinder, they actually lock the strengths off into four different categories. And it turns out that my top strengths are in um, a category called ideation, which means just coming up with new ideas. Like that's where most of my top strengths are. And then I have like one in the communication category. I don't have any in the executing category, <laughs> which is totally me, right? I would love to sit around and think about ideas all day. And then when I actually have to do it, it's like, oh, okay. Like that's, but you know, I eventually will do it and find a way to do it. But that I, I can realize that like my strength is actually in thinking about these things and trying to figure my way through ideas. It's also fun to do if you're in a group or in a project with other people or with your team, especially if you graph it there. It's so fascinating to see like, oh, we have no strengths in executing. That's gonna be a place that we're gonna really struggle. So we're gonna need to figure out how to do that. Or here's where all of our strengths are and like how can we align people based on that. Um, the last uh, resource that I recommend here is a book called The Four Tendencies. Has anyone taken The Four Tendencies quiz? Actually, what's your tendency? Yes, yes, the rebel. So Gretchen Rubin divides uh, the world into, or, or divides people into four categories based on how we deal with expectations, internal expectations and external expectations. I'm a questioner, which means that expectations for me are all about trying to figure out like to do, I have to do the research, I have to ask questions, I have to like spend time figuring out what all of my options are. There are obligers, people who will absolutely automatically do what other people want them to do. Um, rebels will do what no one wants them to do, including themselves. They're the most challenging to deal with. Um, I know some rebels, so I feel for you. Honestly, taking this and figuring this out has revolutionized my way of thinking about relationships in my life, both professional and also personal. Once my husband and I did this and we found that he is an obliger and I'm a questioner, it made everything make so much sense all of a sudden. When some family member says, why don't, do you want to do this this weekend? He will say yes immediately. And I will say, what? No, hold on, brake pedal. Like, we have to look at our calendar. We have to think about this. What about, like, I have to look at all the options first and know and feel comfortable. And that's just my, that's my tendency coming into play. So it's really useful just to think about, like, how are you going to deal with expectations? Do you need external motivation? If you're an obliger, it's going to really help you to have accountability partners in the world. Um, by the way, obligers don't really have good accountability partners with their significant others or spouses. They become sort of merged in with who you are. So you're not gonna be obligated to yourself. Um, so thinking about like where those expectations are, or you know, if, if you're somebody who questions, just build that into your schedule that I need time to plan to do research. Okay, the next, embrace who you are and what you want. And there's a, a unicorn picture there. I guess that's a unicorn. The idea here is that I want you to start thinking about um, what you do and what you want out of this. Like when you started your site, what was your goal? Where is it now? Is it changing? Is it going to be changing in the future or something like that? The best framework for this that I have come across um, is Liz Gilbert's framework for what she wrote on Facebook is how we spend time in life. Um, she's the author of Eat, Pray, Love and several other books, including one we will talk about in a moment. But she breaks down our work and how we spend time into four categories. And I bet you will notice that your blog, your site falls into one of these categories. First, hobbies. Hobbies are just the things that we do that give us joy and pleasure. We might not be good at them. They might not give us anything externally, but they give us some internal satisfaction and we do them and they're fun. Would anyone say that your blog or your site is a hobby at this point? Is there something that you're kind of doing? 
one person. That's okay. And and maybe that's because like people traveling here, right? You might like think of your ad as something a little bit higher than that. The next category is job. Jobs are the things that pay us money that we need in order to um, pay our bills, in order to get food to pay our cats, uh, or I mean to feed our cats. <laughs> it's basically the same thing though, right? They're demanding and they want they want it. Um, jobs, like some people have multiple jobs, some people have one job, um, and for sometimes it's like it's good to think like is your blog a job? Is it something that just brings in money for you? Or is it a career? Is it a job that you love? Is it the thing that like really does give you fulfillment? And like I've noticed that over time like I, my site and Reality Blurred is sort of like switched between these two categories sometimes and felt like some days it's kind of Jobish some days, and then like some years, I think it's definitely moving more solidly in that career direction. Um, but it's good to know, like it's okay to have a job that you don't love as long as it's sort of giving you money and giving you the thing you need, and then you can spend your other time on your hobbies or your careers or on the last category, your vocation. Vocation is your calling. It's the thing that you will do no matter what, no matter what anyone else says, you're gonna always do it. For me, I think that's writing. Obviously, you saw me writing on a keyboard before I knew what letters were, probably. Um, and that's the thing that's gonna always be there. It doesn't matter if someone never publishes another word that I write, I'm still gonna be doing it. So thinking about like, what is that in your life? What's the thing that you're here to do? And how does that make you feel? And does it connect at all to the work that you're doing on a day-to-day -day basis. So in addition to Liz Gilbert's post on that, which is right here, if you wanna go read the full thing for yourself, that's the, a short link. Um, I highly recommend her book, Big Magic, uh, which the subtitle says it all, Creative Living Beyond Fear. It's basically a great book for anyone in any kind of creative profession about how we get over the stumbling blocks that really do prevent us from moving forward or from doing the things that we really want to uh, we really care about um, and it's just it's a wonderful reference to pick up and read parts of you can read it all the way through or You can return to it over time. She just has some really uh, I think Advice that feels like it gets right into the core of who I am and the problems that I sometimes come across For anyone doing any kind of writing. I highly recommend Anne Lamott's bird by bird um, the subtitle some instructions on writing and life um, is one that I think kind of undersells the book. It's so beautifully written, so engaging, so uh, fun to read, but she also gives just some incredible specific pointed advice um, for writers, including, and I think this is the one that I've taken away the most, is to give yourself permission to write what she calls a shitty first draft, to allow yourself to just do it and let it be bad, and then go through and do editing, then go through and make it better. Um, because sometimes if we try to make something perfect right away, uh, it's not going to be that way. That perfectionism thing is going to get in the way. So just allow yourself to, to try a little bit. So let's move on to the next category, which is identifying what's important. What's really important uh, is Schitt's Creek, the sitcom. Uh, if you haven't watched it, that's your homework for when you return. It's on Netflix. If you don't have Netflix, it's also streaming for free on Pop. TV's website, uh, it's amazing. It's just wonderful, charming, and uh, everything that uh, I need in life. Um, also, just a constant source of wonderful GIFs. So when we think about what's actually important in our lives, um, there's some questions that I want you to think about and ask. First, if your blog is a job, here's some things to think about, or if it, if it serves job-like functions in your life. 
Um, number one, what's my minimum viable audience? Uh, this is a phrase that comes from Seth Godin, who talks about this idea of thinking about like what's the smallest group of people that I can address and really meet their needs. And the reason you do that is because if you try to be everything to everyone and as popular as you possibly can immediately, you're going to fail at that because that's impossible. But if you really target and think about that niche and think about what's that audience I need to be viable to produce the revenue that I want, to produce the kind of content that I want, what is that? And what's going to happen once you actually reach that audience is that it's going to expand. They're going to tell other people, other people who are sort of peripheral or Peripheral, I can't say that word um, right now, uh, that are related to that, um, that come in from the periphery, uh, they will, um, like, it will grow past that, but that's the egg, that's the seed in the center, and you have to think about that first. Next is, am I getting work done or am I wasting time? Especially if this is a job for you, if this is something that's just about making money and really just producing some revenue behind the scenes here. Um, think about that, like what am I actually doing right now? Is this something that is work that is, needs to be done or am I wasting time? And a great question to ask as part of that um, and is what makes me money? Uh, this comes from Paul Jarvis, who I will recommend his book and uh, newsletter in just a moment. Um, but basically the idea is if you're going to do something, like do it because it's going to make you money, not just because it's there to be done. Like Pinterest next door, good example. Not that I'm still jealous of, their, uh, of them and all of their popularity too. But like Pinterest is... Um, great if it works for you and if it's making you money. I've tried it, I've played around with it. It just doesn't drive any traffic for me. It's not worth the time or money. Um, and like I've, like maybe I realize that it's not my strength. Maybe I can learn a little bit something about it, but like, is it making me money? Is it worth that time? If not, let it go. If your blog is more of a career or connects to your vocation, some questions to think about here. Why did I create this in the first place? Why is it there? How does my vocation manifest in my work and how can I make it manifest there more? If you're like deciding what to write, maybe write something that really does like feed your soul instead of just feeding um, the Google search and or like the keywords that you think need to be met. Like you can still find the keywords for the thing that meets your soul needs, but you can like connect those two things together. Um, think about, do the Marie Kondo thing, right? Like, <laughs> what sparks joy for you? If it sparks joy, you keep it. If it doesn't, you thank it and throw it away forever. Um, sparking joy, like whatever, you can replace joy with another word or define joy however you want. But just think about, like, it's essentially what works for you. If it doesn't work for you, stop doing it by all means. And just one more thing on the questions. Uh, so in the workbook, I have an entire page on page 31 of sort of questions and reflections to think about. Um, I suggest doing this by writing it out by longhand, just because that changes the way your brain processes information. It slows you down, um, but just gives you a chance to kind of reflect on some big picture ideas. If that is useful to you, use them. You know, maybe come to one or two of those questions once in a while when you need a little bit of reflection. So the next uh, tool here I'm going to talk about is this friend, uh, the Eisenhower Matrix or the Eisenhower Box. How many of you have encountered this before? Sort of was developed. I don't think uh, Eisenhower himself like drew this box, but there's a quote where he talked about doing things that were important and urgent, and 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 then someone created this template out of that. The idea is to think about in your life what are the important things and what are the not important things, and then what is urgent and what's not truly urgent. 
there's a copy of this also in your workbook that you can use to actually write in. Or I actually don't like sit down and actually write things out in this, although some people do, and it can be really useful. But I just like to keep it in the back of my head to think about what exactly um, is useful here and what am I doing. So um, if something is really, truly important and urgent, that's the thing we're going to do right now. Because it, if it's, and is it truly urgent? I think that's a question, though, that we need to ask ourselves often is like, is this urgent or does it just seem urgent? Um, because things can seem urgent, especially in our era of notifications and dinging bells all the time. Um, if something is not important, but it's urgent, so it's sort of like demanding attention, but it's really not important, that's the thing to delegate uh, to yourself or to your team. Um, when I try to delegate those tasks to my team, they just stare at me and ask for more cat food uh, because they're not a great bunch of coworkers. Uh, they're just really demanding. Um, so my team is me and me alone. I don't work with anyone else. So I, but I can delegate something to myself and say, I will work on that next week or I have a block of time this Saturday when I will work on that. Um, but if you have a team, think about giving those tasks to them. If something is not important and not urgent, why are we dealing with it? Like, <laughs> let it go. It's bad. It's that brown color. It's yuck. Like, we don't need to even pay any attention to it. And if it's not urgent and it's important, that's something that you really need to make time and space for and to really just give yourself those moments to think about what, like, this is the thing that, these are usually the things that really matter to us in our lives and that we really want to be doing, but because they're not urgent, they're not gonna get our attention, on, on an, and that's, that can be frustrating. Um, sometimes that can even, even be something as simple as just going out for a walk to clear your head, and it's like, I don't have time to do that right now, I have to do all this other stuff. But those walks can be extremely important. Um, I'll come back to that in a second with some, some resources. Um, so this is the Eisenhower matrix. I kind of just created a, another version of it that's also in your workbook for you. Um, I switched the axes to sort of make us think a little bit differently, but I broke it down into things that must be done for your site and things that are optional and things that you love to do and things that you dread doing. So breaking it down into these categories can help us think about like, what should I actually prioritize? What should I give my time and attention to? What should I delegate to my cats? If it must be done and you love to do it, amazing, way, yay, win, like let's do that. If it's optional but you love to do it, like that's probably where creativity and vocation really lie, go for it, like enjoy that, embrace that creativity and, and find time for that. If you dread doing it but it must be done, that's again the time to delegate to your team, to yourself, to external people who know how to do this, to experts. And if it's optional and you dread doing it, just say no and let it go um, and don't proceed past go. Okay, some recommendations here. Uh, so I mentioned the idea of sort of like just going on a walk for a second. Um, I highly recommend Manoush Zamarodi's book, Bored and Brilliant. Uh, the subtitle is How Spacing Out Can Unlock Your Most Productive and Creative Self. She talks so well and, and just with as just fascinating ways about how we, um, have essentially cluttered our minds full of things to do. And as a result, we don't have time or space to be creative in the same way that we used to be. And so she gives us a lot of good advice there. This was born out of a podcast that she did called Note to Self, which I still highly recommend to go back and find it. Um, it's, and to listen to the episodes about being bored and brilliant, she kind of works through some different exercises there. Um, I also recommend Paul Jarvis's book, 
Um, I, he was the person who asked that question, what makes you money? That actually came from his Sunday Dispatch. He writes a once a week newsletter that goes out to people who subscribe to it. And he's really great at talking to people like us, to solo entrepreneurs or people who are individuals running small businesses. And he just came out with a book called Company of One, which as you can see from the subtitle, why staying small is the next big thing in business. Um, as you know, like our sort of society and our push from venture capitalists and from everybody else is like, grow, 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 get bigger, bigger, bigger. And his thing is like, why do that, right? Like, why not just find out what actually works for you? What gives you the kind of money or income or like just makes you feel good about things and that's enough. So he has lots of good strategies and tips both in his newsletter and in the book. Okay, the next thing is about focusing your attention and awareness. Um, I want you to try to be as focused as this cat is, uh, clearly, because that person who's being annoying uh, is not bothering it at all. I have a thing with cats, as you can see. <laughs> There's several more cat things coming, so just wanted to prepare you. So the num first thing here is just like actually being focused. I think many of us have maybe read about um, the idea that multitasking is not real. Our brains are not capable of it. I know this, I've read about it, I've read the research. I still try to do it. I do it all the time and try to catch myself when I'm doing it because your brain is just switching back and forth between things and not being as good at either of those things as it would be if you were just focused. So how do we actually focus? Um, I will suggest briefly that I think mindfulness and meditation are wonderful, especially for those of us who are staring at screens all day. Um, I used to think of mindfulness and meditation like I have to clear my mind and sit in like a lotus position and like be zen, which is impossible, so how can I do that? And then I was introduced to Dan Harris, the journalist from ABC News, who wrote a memoir called 10% Happier about having a panic attack on air and then finding his way to meditation as a way to deal with that. And the great thing I love about his work is that he talks so much about meditation in just a really simple way. He basically says that meditation has a marketing problem and that we're not talking about it well. Um, he now has an app called 10% Happier and then a new book, Meditation for Fidgety Skeptics. <laughs> if you were that person, which is very much the how-to book. Um, but I'll just paraphrase some of his advice, which I think is so, so valuable, which is the idea that like doing one minute of mindfulness most days can start to change your brain and change the way that you deal with the world. And what that means is just sitting, focusing on your breathing. Your brain will wander away, start thinking about something that you have to do, and then you'll notice that, and you'll bring it back and start focusing on your breath again. And what Dan says that I love is, the, the moment when you notice your brain has moved away, that's not the failure, that's the win. That's us training our brains to be focused, to be like really on the center line when we need it to be. Um, a couple other things that I found to be useful for helping my focus. Uh, this comes back to knowing yourself, but I work really well when I'm around other people. I belong to a co-working space for that reason. Um, so I can like I know I can't like go take a nap or sit on the couch and just watch TV because there's other people watching me. Um, and I'm more motivated in that environment. That can't always be the case, like when I'm in a hotel room. So this website, Coffeeativity, um, I sometimes pull up, and basically you, it makes the sound of a coffee shop come out of your speakers, including like people talking and clanking glasses. And it's just like, I feel like I'm now suddenly like being looked at by people, even when I'm sitting in my hotel room. Um, so that is really useful for me. Um, if you also like noise but not coffee shops, this is a fun app called Noisio, where basically you can create your own sounds that will make you happy as you work. Uh, you probably can't see this, but this person has chosen summer night, 
uh, deep space, a sailing yacht, and blue whale, and mixed those together and created their perfect soundscape for their working. I know that blue whales are motivational to me, um, so that would be great. And then you can also buy sounds if you um, don't want to just mix your own. Um, if you need just to like get the writing done, if you're like, I just need to do this now, but I need some motivation, this is a great website. It's called Written Kitten. Uh, I'll show you the web, the, the URL is like writtenkitten.net. I'll have it up in a second. Basically, you set a certain number of words, and then you pick either kitten, puppy, or bunny. And every time you get to that number of words, a new picture pops up and rewards you. And it makes you like just like so you're typing away. Um, since, of course, this is just in your browser, it's not saving, so just be mindful of that, like copy and paste it and save it frequently. But it can be a nice way to just to get through, like I gotta get through this post, so I'm gonna get some motivation here. Um, if you work better with consequences instead of motivation, I have some advice for you or a tip, uh, which is this website called Write or Die. <laughs> As you can see, you can set various things, a word count, words per minute, a time goal, a grace period for how long you can pause. Um, if you fail at this, you can set different consequences like a horrible noise coming out of your speakers, <laughs> spiders running across your screen, there's other options. But my very favorite option here is kamikaze mode. If you turn that on and you don't meet your own goals, it starts deleting what you wrote backwards one letter at a time. So there's some motivation. <laughs> I'm motivated by cats, not, not by that. But if this will help you, um, please do use it. So here's the URLs for these various things. 10% uh, Happier by Dan Harris. That He has lots of products under that banner. Coffitivity, Noisio is the app. And then writtenkitten.co is the site, or writerdie.com if you want to check those out. OK, a few more things, and I'll take some questions here. So next is just know that it's OK to seek out help. At the beginning, I talked about the black hole of advice. And I think that sometimes it's good to just like, I'm just going to focus on what I'm good at and what I want to do and, and make it work. But it is OK also to reach out when you need help from other people and to know when to press that button. Um, it's helpful to sometimes think of it as a button or actually calling for help rather than the first thing you do, though. Like, do I really need to like um, ask somebody else for this? Do I need to hire somebody to do it? Or is it something that I can do? But when you do need that help, reach out. Let experts handle, handle things for you. And then finally, give yourself permission to try and to fail. Um, it's probably not a good image to choose for failing, because <laughs> like, I don't want you to get on a fun ride and then have the chains break. And no, Terrible image. Forget the metaphor. Um, but the idea is the same. Uh, give yourself permission to just try, try things out and see what happens. And also give yourself permission to not be good at them and to fail at them. Um, whether that's the just crappy first draft that we were talking about earlier from Anne Lamott, or just trying a new type of thing on your site and seeing if it works or not. Um, over 20 years, both on my site, Reality Blurred, and just in life, the biggest moments of success that I've had have always come after my biggest failures. And I do improv as a hobby. Um, very much a hobby in that in that framework there, and that's something we practice all the time is like how to fail and just enjoy it and have fun with it. And it's something that our brains like really don't like doing. But when we do fail at something, we learn so much and we can grow from that. So be okay with the fact that sometimes you'll do something and it won't work, and then you'll figure out why and you'll do it better the next time, or it will help you. I promise it will. So uh, that is all I had. Um, thank you so much for your time and attention.
We have about eight minutes for questions, so I'd love to answer anything or have any tips or advice that if anybody wants to share that came up for you as we were talking, I'd be glad to just talk about those. Yes? Uh, thanks for all the book recommendations, yeah. by the way. That's really helpful. You're welcome. I'm just curious with your uh, site, as long as you've been at it, like, do you have some examples of things from that quadrant, like things that must be done that you dread to do that, or anything like that that you've just personally experienced? Um, yeah, it's a good question. I think it's changed so much too, right? Like sometimes it's just like the, well, since we're at a Mediavine conference, I'll think like they, there's lots of great advice for like how to optimize posts. I have 15,000 stories going on 16,000 now. And so that's like, just thinking about that, I'm like, that's important, but like it's overwhelming and I can't possibly think about how to do that. So I have to sort of break that down into what really matters. What are my top things? How can I figure out what to focus on? I'd say that like, I love the creation part of it. I love writing some stories. Uh, I do a lot of interviews. I'm a journalist uh, by trade also and do freelance journalism um, in addition to writing on my site. And so I do a lot of interviews for the site. I hate transcribing so much. Like it's just the worst thing. Um, thankfully, like now that's one of the things I found to outsource. Uh, there's a website called rev.com, which for a dollar a minute, we'll have a human transcribe it. Now they have like for 10 cents a minute, a machine will transcribe it, which is like good enough to like go through a transcript. So I've just found ways to like, that's the thing I dread doing. I love this interview. I love talking to the person. I can't wait to share what they have to say with my readers. The middle part is like the dread. And so I have to find a way through that. And for me, it's just been a tool. Like that's totally worth like three bucks to let a machine transcribe 45 minutes or my math is wrong there. But anyway, you get the idea. Yes. So um, as a food blogger for a really long time as well, like the motivation and the process behind food blogging has definitely changed over that time. I'm assuming it's the same in reality TV blogging because reality TV has changed tremendously in that time. Is there anything that like you keep going back to to keep yourself motivated on the, sub the subject matter? Yeah, I mean, it's a good question. I actually think I don't know what's gonna work really well because so much of my traffic and just is driven by like what people are asking questions about or looking at and like, sometimes it's, like, I get surprised that I'm like, oh, there are people are interested in that show, that kind of thing. Um, and there's just so much TV and it changes like, you know, there's something like four or 500 new scripted shows this year. And there's probably two or three times that many unscripted shows. It's impossible for me to even cover anymore. So what I have to do is go back to that thing of just like, why did I get into this? It's like, I love reality TV. I've been watching Real World since um, I was in high school. Like that show changed my life. Thinking about it, just like I, you know, even just being in a city, I'm like, the Real World house from Real World Austin is right over here. Like <laughs> we can go tour it later and just like see if anyone who's in that restaurant now knows the piece of real estate that they're actually sitting on and how amazing it is. But it's like trying to connect with that passion again and just, and, and remember like, this is the reason that I'm doing it. And it's not every story, not every post is going to be that for me. Um, but it's like, what, in, and, and I think I often come back to like, what interests me? Like, cause if it interests me, it's probably going to interest someone else. Um, maybe not, but like, I'm gonna try it anyway. The older like, um food network shows that we review or recapped on Food Fanatic, and we don't do it anymore, but sometimes I know that it's like rerun somewhere, because all of a sudden we'll get a flurry of comments, and I'm like, what is happening? Yeah. That show's like six years old, like that actual episode is six years old. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Just like that one single thing. And that's like, I would love to write about more. It's like, but there's also too much sometimes. So like, if you tried to, like this week, Food Network premiered three holiday baking shows. Like, how do you even keep up with that? You know, and that's on one night. So it's a lot. And 
that's why I think the prioritizing is really important and just kind of thinking about what does matter to you. Uh, great uh, question up here and then, oh yeah, sorry. I'm sorry, I was just gonna follow up with his question, the first question. Yeah. Um, it was, I'm curious to know what are the things that you did in that 19 year span that really pushed you forward? And I guess I would say like every career has their like, you know, big spikes and stuff. So what were those for you? Yeah, that's that's a fantastic question. And I think a lot of it tended to be external to me and then noticing how that affected me. So I started as just someone who loved television and was just writing about it. I also got fired from another job recapping the real world. Um, and I wrote about that on my site several years ago. So I just needed a place to do this. And so it started as this one thing. About eight years into it, I, I applied repeatedly to join the Television Critics Association, which provides some level of access to talent and producers at events that it puts on um, as television journalists. I got rejected multiple times. And like once I actually got accepted and my criticism and my writing was validated sort of externally, that just changed my own mindset. Like, oh, maybe I'm good at this. And so like, I hate to say that external validation helps, but it does. Right, and now 10 years after that, I'm on the board of directors of the Television Critics Association. So I'm like, I've gone from like, just writing about TV in before and after work um, in my spare time to now like helping to shape what TV critics are, you know, seeing and doing. And like, that's, that's like really amazing and, and surprising to me. So I think that's, that's been one thing that I found that that's helped. It's a, I think you're both asking great questions. And it's, it's hard to pinpoint just because that time period is so long. And I think like I'm so much just focused on sometimes the daily grind of it too that I need to stop and like step back and focus on my intentions, think about what I actually want out of this. But just even here, I'm like, what's going up for today? Like after I write my newsletter, I have to do this. And it's like, when do I have a chance to just actually think? When do I have a chance to be bored and just like let those ideas come in? So. Um, yeah, I wish I had a better answer, but I appreciate you getting me to sort of think about this and like helping me find my way through it. Yes. Well, so what, um, my blog, it wasn't exactly, I, I started it from a hobby, DIYs, crafts, um, but it wasn't actually a hobby to start. I started it with the intention of hopefully making money off of it. Um, and now sometimes though, because I mean, I love to create, like it really is like what drives me is creating, but sometimes now creating feels like a job. So how do you like come back to bring your passion back to your passion? You know, does that make sense? Yeah, well, I think like just knowing one that like if it is a job for you and you want to turn it into career, it's like reconnect with the things that got you into it in the first place. What were those things? Like some of those questions in the workbook might help you find your way to that. But just like, what was it that, what gave me that spark of joy originally? What are the things that really got me excited about this? And how can I find my way back to those? Or how can I find new things that do something similar? Um, or it's also just being okay with the fact, I think that sometimes jobs just have parts that suck. Right, and that we don't, we don't, exactly. And so like all of our work is gonna be sometimes things that are monotonous or not that thrilling, but are necessary. And it's just balance those with things that do give you um, that full spirit and that really do connect with your vocation, passion, hobby, whatever it is. On Air is brought to you by Mediavine. If you're creating amazing and original content, we are here to help. From ad management with maximum earnings and 24-7 support to cutting-edge WordPress plugins, our team has your back. Want free tips in your inbox? 
subscribe to our newsletter at mediavine.com slash subscribe. If you're a Mediavine on air fan, and why wouldn't you be, please give us your five-star rating love and subscribe wherever you're listening. 